Okay, so the show didn't die after one episode back. That's pretty great. Um, so that first recording is a set of jigs, mostly out of Angus Mackay's uh, bagpipe tune collections, Ancient Music of Caledonia or something like that. Can't quite remember the name of it. Probably should have looked that up. Um, I think most of the jigs are from there. Can't remember the names of them. Some of them might also be from Donald McDonald's uh, first music collection from the early 19th century. Some cool old jigs. It's kind of interesting. I'd say the recording of those things is the reason why I don't have an album right now, if that makes sense. I went into a, a studio to record. I, I recorded four or five tracks uh, at the time. I It was in the middle of summer when I lived up on Lake Superior, and I was convinced that my inland piping was getting worse rather than better, or that every season I came back and it felt like I had lost ground. And I thought, like, man, uh, I'm never going to sound better on these, and so I should just go into a studio and record. And because uh, I had been, that had been my barrier at that time, was uh, I wanted to get better on Island Pipes before I made an album. Anyway, went into Michael Monroe's studio. Uh, Michael Monroe's sort of a Cook County institution up there, and he had a, maybe still has a recording studio that was like off the grid and green and cool in that sense. And uh, he's a, flute player, uh, many, many different types of kind of woodwinds that he plays, and he does lots of house concerts up there. Oh, and there is some lawnmower sounds. Hmm. You can tell the world is still going. Let's see if I can get rid of that. I don't know. That's some of the lawnmower-y windblower thing sounds over. Um, yeah, anyway, so... Went to Mike Monroe's place, like in theory, professional recording studio, and did some recording. And then, you know, it was, I don't know, it was an awkward experience. Um, I recorded four sets on Island Pipes and then this one set with Highland Pipes. And it took, I was I was a pretty, pretty lousy Island Piper still. And it took multiple takes to get uh, a single recording of the Island Pipes. And it was a pretty cool experience where the... The jigs on Highland Pipes is like, I just want to do this one thing, just see if this this works. And it was a set I was playing as part of my music programs, a fair amount at Grand Portage. And I just ripped it out in one take. And it was like, all right, that, that was pretty good. Um, didn't have to make any adjustments or edits to that. Anyway, uh, after all was said and done, uh, I had decided, you know, going into a studio, paying somebody money to get like a high quality recording would be the way to actually make an album. And then I listened back to it compared to the recordings I was making on this Zoom, you know, H2 recorder. And I'll, you know, I'm sort of felt like the Zoom was just as good um, and arguably better, depending on where I was recording. Uh, if I was recording in a place with some pretty good acoustics, it sounded better than the stuff I was getting uh, from Michael Monroe's studio. Granted, he also, you know, added some reverb or echo to it on the Ellen Pipe tracks that I was, like, didn't have the willpower to say, no, let's not do that. Um, and so that sort of made the, the tracks less than helpful either. Ooh, look at that. Hitting stuff. Uh, anyway, so uh, after spending $100 or I don't know how much I spent, I, I, I don't think it was more than $100 to go in and record, uh, I realized that I could record on my own just as effectively as that studio and that was the only studio in the area and so that meant that basically i would never make an album because i could record on my own time which meant that i could always demand that it sound better and kind of be a perfectionist about it and i don't really play in a perfectionist style as much as i'm 
was uh, didn't want to put out music and try to sell it that was less than a perfectionist. So anyway, a little bit uh, confusing or convoluted story. So that's why that's why I don't have an album. I think is because I went into a recording studio and it was uh, expensive and not as good as recording at home. Uh, so that was up on Lake Superior. Uh, still a park ranger, but Grand Portage National Monument. Um, when I was there, last last couple of years I worked there, uh, I had a, a, a kind of new guy had started named Jared, who was just a kind of a, a treat and fun guy to work with and really passionate into being a park ranger. Uh, had come from, I think he worked at Mount Rushmore and Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore or something. or I don't remember what Indiana Dunes is. I just went there. I should remember. Um, anyway, cool guy and... Uh, the sort of person that would, uh, he was just always very enthusiastic for anything you were doing. Uh, really liked my bagpiping, and we spent a lot of time talking about video games and um, cult movies and that sort of thing. Uh, anyway, he moved uh, moved out west with a job at Nez Pierce, still for the National Park Service. And I think Jared's the only person that is actually... Uh, sort of asked or demand that I write a song for them. If I'm remembering correctly, I, I might not even remember this. I think he just wanted me to play for him on his birthday was what he had used to request. But I was waiting for him to, uh, I was calling him because he's been, he's been really good, even though he's moved out, out west. He's really good about keeping in touch with me and calls and see how I'm, sees how I'm doing. And we talk, you know, a couple times a month. And anyway, I was uh, going to call him on the phone, had the song kind of running through my head. And he didn't pick up, and then next thing you knew, I was just recording a tune on Whistle into his voicemail. And I think I think it's an original tune. It's sort of, it's the kind of thing that isn't terribly complicated. So it's maybe just a, a tuning, like a phrase over and over and over again. Um, not quite sure. So anyway, here is uh, the Jared Wicks tune. Uh, hope you like it. It's still kind of early stages. There's... Uh, I still haven't really decided clearly how to resolve the, the end phrase, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, here's a Jared Wicks tune. If you recognize it as somebody else's tune, well, let me know. Uh, send me an email uh, to waytotwag at gmail.com. That's W-E-T-O-O-T-W-A-A-G at gmail.com. Anyway, so here's the Jared Wicks.
Yeah, so the next one, I'm going to do some more Highland piping. Back in 2012, my now wife and I, Laura, went to Scotland for the first time and kind of toured around a bunch of fur trade history places and just amazing history places and beautiful scenery in general. Um, but I made some recordings at various places that were important to me or to history. So uh, some of the best recordings that I got were from Garthbeg, which is uh, basically the farm or the tack where Simon McTavish was born and kind of raised for a while on a little loch called Lochmore just south of Loch Ness. Um, pretty little area, kind of remote off the beaten path and uh, not a lot of tourists around, which is nice. Uh, and thanks to the right to roam laws in Scotland, we were just walking around. Um, it was lambing season, so the, the law was that you couldn't molest the sheep or couldn't harass the sheep or make them uncomfortable, but you could go wherever. And we walked in and saw some farmers, uh, some guys working the, the land, and chatted with them a bit. And they were awesome. Um, told us to, told me, that, asked if it was okay if I, we were going to walk around this hill behind Simon McTavish's house. And I wanted to play some bagpipes, and I asked if that would bother the cows, because it was a cattle farm. And they said, no, it's fine. But there was one Englishman that worked the property, so he might be bothered. But uh, probably the cows would think it was fine. Um... It's kind of interesting. So Simon McTavish, his dad was a taxman for Lord Lovett, the Fraser kind of clan chief in the area. And so they asked why I was there and uh, get the sense that even back in 2012, seeing random Americans wander around um, the Scottish countryside generally had some kind of weird genealogical connection. So they assumed that I had some relative there. And as I said, no, just a park ranger and the wealthiest man that you know lived in Canada during his lifetime was born there and was tromping about. Um, you know, I don't. It didn't seem like any of them know who Simon McTavish was. But when I mentioned that it was Lord Lovett's uh, taxman that lived there, they said that they still branded the cattle LLGB for Lord Lovett Garthbeg. From I don't know why or <laughs> how long that um, marking system had been in place because. Uh, Surely there were some times when the Lord, when the Lovitz were not in control of that area, um, right after the 45 Rebellion at least. Uh, anyway, so here's me wandering around on Simon McTavish's uh, kind of homeland, her ancestral um, birthplace. Really pretty mountain. We went up, we went back there last year, and uh, everything's so much more developed and busy and crowded. Granted, we were there in the we went in April in 2012, and we went back in June and May in 2019, and so there was just more people in general, but because of Outlander, it seems like tourism has gone hog wild, um, and Garthbeg had, had built up quite a bit. Uh, there was some more bridges, and I think there was even a new house, or at least the cottages that were there had been kind of built up, and there's a big dog pen. Anyway, so always a little weird parking in somebody's not quite yard um, to walk in and, and walk around the place. Um, so pulled over, a little paranoid, um, but one of the farmers kind of drove by and, and waved really enthusiastically uh, at me. And as we started walking over to the property, he kind of came over and said, hey, you're back. And I was like, you remember me? Uh, and he says, yeah, you've got a face once seen is never forgotten. Uh, but he felt like I had been there last year and we did the math and figured that it had been that I was, when I was there in 2012, it was his first, I think his first year working at Garthbeg rather than working, uh, rather than living in Glasgow. Um, but it was his house, I think, that had all the dog, dog panel, or dog kennels and things. And 
uh, it's kind of interesting. They were talking about opening up what I think is Simon McTavish's birthplace, like the house that he was born in. They're planning to open that up into some kind of Airbnb slash hunting lodge thing and take people out to, to go stalking because there's quite a few um, stags and things in the area. Um, but when I express some interest in that or kind of promoting it, he very uh, astutely looked at me and said, it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> like, I don't think you could do that, buddy. Um, but anyway, so we went around Garth Bay again and played some bagpipes and uh, did the same thing. Didn't find, when I was there in 2012, I found a, a cool stag uh, antler that I, after piping around a bit, uh, when this recording's happening, I looked down and, and found a, a site that had been, it was like, it was clearly a shed from a stag that something had gnawed on, so there wasn't really a heck of a lot left. I'll upload it as the photo for the for the uh, graphic here. Anyway, so I I kind of smuggled that home and gave it to a buddy of mine, Jay, to turn into just a beautiful knife. Uh, it's a bit of a keepsake from the trip. So anyway, here is a set of tunes that Simon McTavish would have been able to listen to uh, in Grand Portage. And they hired a bagpiper named George Mackay to entertain themselves. Um, so this is a selection of tunes. I don't remember all of them. One of them is called Dunrobin Castle, and then The Wren's Death, and then some other tunes. But um, yeah, here's that tune. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Okay, so here's finally uh, getting to some piping from St. Patrick's Day, which sort of started this whole reboot of the podcast in general. Uh, 
This is the Bucks of War and More. I've been intimidated and in love with this tune since uh, for, for decades. I think there's a selection, there's a series of Seamus Ennis recordings that are available online where he was clearly just recording like a record for somebody personally to send, I think, to New York. Never really tracked down the whole story of it but he does the bucks of orn war which he indicates he says is the toughest of the reels and it always just seemed like a thing that was impossible for me to play and through the course of doing this you know live or doing a recording every day i did the bucks of orn war and well you know it's it's a hard tune uh but it is so incredibly fun to play and satisfying so um, what are we looking at here it was february 20th is when I it was the my tune of the day way back in February twentieth, which feels like an eternity ago. Um, so yeah, just over a month ago, started playing this tune, and yeah, kind of can't can't stop playing it. It's so fun. Um, so yeah, easily one of my favorite reels right now. Uh, I have no idea how old it is. I'm trying to find. I'm, I keep hoping to find a tune that I love as much as Bucks of Moore and O'Farrell and that Jerry O'Sullivan hasn't already <laughs> published, but uh, but so far that hasn't happened. So here's uh, my St. Patrick's Day recording. So it's an outdoor recording with some wind and things, but uh, here's the Bucks of Ornmore. Hope you like it as much as I do. somehow we, we have managed to get this far in the episode and not actually have a tune from O'Farrell. Uh, so 
we'll do the the tune of the day the day that I'm recording this March 29th was uh, the faraway wedding uh, it's kind of interesting Angus Mackay has a version of the faraway wedding that he calls a jig it's a 9-8 so I think that puts it in slip jig territory um, and I can't tell if these are the same tune just different versions so here is here's O'Farrell's setting in on a whistle So that's the 6-8 O'Farrell version. Ooh, chanter slide sound. Um, and here is the Angus Mackay 9-8 version on our practice chanter. same tune the that feels akin to but I don't know I would call it a different tune I feel like so many of the tunes that I play that are slightly different versions of another tune are like blatantly just the same phrase over and over again uh, so I'm guessing that these are completely different and, and unrelated it's not exactly like a wedding that's far away is a uh, unique concept that people wouldn't decide to write tunes about. Anyway, here's the uh, Faraway Wedding Jig. That was my tune of the day. Uh, be sure to check that out if you want even more music on my Instagram page, which is just way too twog, W-E-T-O-O-T-W-A-A-G. Um, and yeah, shoot me an email if you're listening to this. Uh, want more of them, because, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's so much more work to put out a podcast, and... Uh, so many fewer people listening or reaching on Instagram or Facebook, and I'm not sure that those numbers are real, but um, yeah, it's pretty hard to see, like, oh, yeah, 300 people listen to the Faraway Wedding Jig when I put it on Instagram, and 26 people played the last podcast episode I put out. So uh, anyway, shoot me an email, w-e-t-o-o-t-w-a-a-g at gmail.com. If you're listening and if you want more, uh, and yeah, thanks for listening. Here's Faraway Wedding Jig on Island Pipes. Monkeying about, I recorded this outside of uh, Hancher Auditorium here in Iowa City. Uh, it was just a beautiful sunny day. Um, like I said, most of my tunes of the days are, are tunes that I'm working on and haven't really perfected yet, so I'm monkeying about with some regulators in here, and it's not quite perfect, but still a tune. So here's Faraway Wedding from O'Farrell, and thanks for listening. <laughs>